0: The scripture passage for this morning comes from the book of Amos, um, chapter 3. We had verses 1 through 8 last week, and today I'm going to read verses 9 through 15. This is the word of the Lord. Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her, and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion, two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord.
1: Hello. Yeah, our mic was almost brought down and destroyed as well. Good morning, church. If we take a look at history, even in a civilized society with a court system that seeks to be just, we see all sorts of wrong judgments. There's so many to choose from. Smart, educated, well-informed, mostly moral people who thought that they were making good and sound judgments that served for the good of humanity. But history would prove otherwise. We have these Supreme Court cases, Buck versus Bell in 1927. The court declared a terrible decision to uphold the forced sterilization of those with intellectual disabilities for the protection and health of the state. If legalized eugenics weren't enough, in 1944, in Korematsu versus the United States, the Supreme Court upheld the imprisonment of Japanese Americans during World War II, seeking to protect against spies. They they imprisoned American citizens because of their ethnicity. And then in Dred Scott versus Sanford in 1857, it held that African-Americans, whether free men or slaves, could not be considered American citizens. There are so many cases like these that show us that even in the highest courts of our land, we are still prone to misjudgment. And we may think these are only in our past or things of antiquity, but in our flawed nature, there will only be more failed judgments to come. No matter the amount of thought and time given or think tanks Our best judgments are found lacking. And thankfully, this is not the case with God. Today we'll see, in God's timeless word, what the prophet Amos has declared to the nation of Israel, that the judgment of God is upon them. That if they do not turn from their ways, they will be devastated by war and by fire. And God, sitting as judge over all the nations which he has created, will see that unlike us, He is always right. He is perfectly just. His judgments are always right. Let's pray this morning that we would trust in Him. Dear God, we need You this morning. Lord, I pray that we would meet You in Your Word, that our hearts would be encouraged, that our hearts would be challenged, that these would not fall on deaf ears. Lord, we would see your wisdom for us, that you're good in righteous ways, your perfect justice, when we are so lacking. God, help us to trust in you. Help us to live for you with every ounce and fiber of our being. In your name we pray, amen. The prophet Amos has come to deliver this message of God's judgment, and contained within it, we're going to see two truths that stick out to us. The first is that God's judgments are always right. We'll see this in verses 9 through 10. And second, we'll see that those who experience God's judgment, they will lose their sources of security in verses 11 through 15. Turn with me in your Bibles. Uh, If you don't have one, there's some in the back, and you'll find uh, Amos on page 765. We're in chapter 3, the big 3, and we'll be reading starting in verse 9, the small 9 reads, proclaim to the strongholds in Estad and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. The Lord is rhetorically summoned these two nations of Estad and Egypt to gather together, to stand on the mountains and surround the nation of Israel, Samaria, its capital city. These were pagan nations. They did not know God. They didn't have His direct revelation and His provision. And God is calling them to stand over His people and witness their judgment. And to see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They are to look on the oppressed of Israel and to see all of the unrest and violence within. Amos goes on in verse 10, "...they do not know how to do right." declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. These words, from the perspective of the proud northern kingdom of Israel, these words would have cut deep. This would have been a slap to the face to hear these words. In their eyes, they had religious and moral superiority. They were God's chosen. And you're telling these pagan nations to stand over us and witness this judgment. And the Philistines of Ashdod and the people of Egypt, if we know anything about them, these were nations known for their violence and their injustice, known for their slavery and oppression of others. These were enemies of Israel that had held them captive in slavery. These were the experts of injustice and oppression. And God has summoned them to witness the judgment and failings of Israel. This would be like McDonald's coming to lecture you on making healthy choices. This would be like the city of Vegas evaluating you as being too immodest and hedonistic. This would be like the Kardashians accusing you of being self-absorbed and materialistic. In God's eyes, the nation of Israel was far more guilty because of what they had been given in him. As we've seen so far in Amos, these other nations, they don't have God's law and instruction handed down to them. As God's chosen people, Israel had his direct favor and guidance and his promises. After God rescues them out of Egypt, he leads them to Mount Sinai, and he makes an agreement with them, a covenant, Just listen to God's special place for His people of Israel in Exodus 19. And pay attention to that word, if. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Why did He choose them? Was it because they possessed something that others didn't? No, it was because He loved them. And he's true to his word. He keeps his promises that he swore to their fathers. God always keeps his word. But they didn't obey his voice. They wouldn't obey his voice. They did not uphold the covenant. Israel just wasn't oppressing their neighbors. They were oppressing their own people. The rich indulged their wealth, made off the backs of the poor. We recently saw in Philippians, as we're going through this book, that God's people... So beautiful, or to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is how God desires His people to live. We're to rid ourselves of selfish ambition, in humility were to count others as more important than ourselves the nation of israel is doing the opposite of this god had shown them the way and they had forsaken it they had forgotten who they were and who they belonged to and despite all his love and care and provision pointing them to the way guiding them towards life god has declared he has spoken they do not know how to do right. They were spiritually blind. And God, as a holy and just God, cannot let injustice stand. These other nations, they were guilty of the same crimes. And they would certainly face judgment. These sins, they happened all the time. These, they were commonplace in this time. This is the way of the world. But this was not to be the way of God's children. Israel would be held to a higher standard. And in all the love that God had poured out on them, they they had forgotten that he could also be their enemy. Isaiah 63.10 But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. What a scary thought. An all-powerful God, grieved by the sins of His people, becoming their enemy. They did not keep the promises that they had made to God. And God is speaking to them through Amos, warning them that because of their disobedience, because of their failures to display the blessing of God on this earth, judgment was coming for them. How does this hit us this morning? What do we think of God's judgment? These people of Israel in the near future, they would be destroyed by war. They would be thrown into exile by the Assyrians. Is he right to do this to them? Is he right to do this to anybody? I hope you're able to see the love of God clearly in pronouncing this judgment. The love of God in sending Amos so that they would turn back and avoid the judgment to come. God is announcing His intentions. Turn and stop this, or this will not end well for you. We see the heart of God in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is patient with his people, even when we rebel against him. He is not eager for them to die. He desires for them to turn from their sin, even though he is the one that we are sinning against. He is full of mercy and compassion, but this love drives him to destroy injustice. His love compels him to put an end to hypocrisy, to care the oppressed as created beings made in the image of God we naturally make moral judgments we naturally are grieved by injustice but in our fallenness our vision of justice is warped we can seek justice solely for us solely for me people that look like me or act like me or, or think the same way I do Or even worse, we can fight for injustice, thinking in our pride that we know best. Unlike us and our imperfect judgments, God always sees sees the big picture. He doesn't just see it and know it all. He perfectly acts in righteousness to judge it as he sees fit. There's no part of the world, there's no person in history that he did not make, that he did not give life to. We read in Colossians 1, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We owe all that we have to him. We may ask why this happened the way it did. We may question why when injustice is in our lives, when injustice is rampant around us. But in it all, we can always trust that God is just and his judgment will be right. There may be injustice in the courts or in the law or in society, but nothing escapes his eye. He defines justice and upholds it. We may not understand why things happen as they do, but we can be assured that his judgments are good and his perspective is infinite. Isaiah 55, we just see the grandeur of God, that his thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are his ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In all his ways, he is higher and greater than us. So great that our response should be to bow before him and trust him fully with our lives. And to those that have been blessed and know his truth, they will be held to a higher standard for the beautiful truths and love that we have been given. God's judgment was coming for the people of Israel. And he stands in judgment over his creation today. In it all, we can be assured that God's judgment is always right. The second truth we find in this passage today is that those who experience God's judgment will lose their sources of security. Take your eyes with me to verse 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you and your strongholds shall be plundered. These words are said with an awful certainty about them from God himself. The first of their three sources of security were to be taken away. Their strongholds will be destroyed. They will be surrounded on all sides and their defenses will be decimated. In these ancient times, your fortress and your strongholds, these were representative of your might and greatness as a nation. The people would have trusted in their strongholds to protect them from the attack of the enemy. It was where their safety was to be found. What's ironic here, considering Israel's history, is that before they entered into the promised land, they thought it was impossible to get there because they had to defeat the great strongholds of the inhabitants. Just listen to their fear in Deuteronomy 1. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Even though they feared their enemies, God led them in victory over much greater opponents. God gave them the victory. God destroyed these mighty strongholds with ease. And now, instead of trusting in God who delivered them, who who brought victory over these strongholds, they, they have now trusted in their own strongholds which they have built. And God will destroy in his judgment. Amos goes on, spelling out their fate in verse 12. Thus says the Lord, As a shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and a part of a bed. In these days, when a shepherd would tend to a flock, sheep would commonly get taken away by predators or attacked. And a shepherd would be required to go then and find a piece of the, the dead animal. And it, this would absolve him of guilt that he didn't just sneak a sheep away or add to his own personal flock or something. Otherwise, he'd be responsible to replace that animal. And so just like the shepherd would then go and find a leg or a piece of an ear of an animal, that is all that will be left of the nation of Israel after they face God's judgment. But all that will be found of their remains will be the corner of a couch or a part of a bed. This is all that will be left of their existence. It's interesting, what what sort of people would be represented by this evidence? These beds, couches, pillows. This would serve as an indictment of them. It serves to summarize their life habits sensuality, idleness, leisure. Their legacy that they would leave behind would be a life lived for their body, a life in pursuit of pleasure at the expense of others. I couldn't help but wonder if we were to be judged by God and wiped from the face of the earth, what might we leave behind? What evidence would serve as a time capsule for future generations showing them what we lived for? Would they see that we lived for wealth? Would they see that we lived for comfort, entertainment, vacations, ease? Church family, in so many ways, we are privileged and we don't even know it. So easily, these privileges... They become our focus. They become what we are living for. And in our abundance of riches, we don't need God. We lose sight of Him. And for some of you thinking of being rich, you might laugh when I use these terms. You may not feel rich. But our lifestyles are so privileged here that we may not even realize that according to some estimates, the median worldwide income is around $2,800 per year. Less than 3K a year is the worldwide median income. Can you imagine that? And by comparison, half the households in America make more than 25 times this amount. It's been estimated that if you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change laying around somewhere in a dish then you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest. Simply wouldn't exist in the same way. Money's not laying around in people's dishes throughout the world. And part of the reason we don't see that we are wealthy is that as a society, we are always wanting more. We are always seeking and wanting more. And maybe in your case, it's not the pursuit of wealth and things that occupy you. But what might future generations think about the way that we spend our time? The things that excite us the most in this life, will they hold weight in eternity? I pray that they would not look back on us as we look back on Israel and say sorrowfully that they had so much and yet they did so little. They knew God's ways, but yet they did not live for Him. They were so distracted. May this not be us. The nation of Israel, personal devotion to God had disappeared from their lives. It had been replaced by sleep and ease, luxury, indulgence, and vice. There was no self-mortification there was no dying to sin, no putting on the armor of God, no discipline or battle for holiness. If we were to die today, what would the onlookers of our lives say we truly lived for? What would our possessions, pursuits, and use of our time say that we treasured the most? What did we do? with all that we are given. One other aspect about verse 12, even with all this death, despair, and coming judgment, in it is found a glimmer of hope. The most hopeful part of our passage today involves a sheep being torn to shreds. And this hope that we find is that for the nation of Israel, there will not be a total annihilation. God has every reason to wipe them out completely, but God will not abandon His purposes for Israel. They may just be a piece of an ear or a couch left behind, but there will be a faithful remnant who would turn and repent and heed these words of God. The wheat hidden amongst the tares, the sheep amongst the goats, The people who truly know and follow Him amidst those who just profess to be His people and want His benefits. James 2 would reign true for those that God would spare, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Even today, we stand as sinners before a holy God, and in our own power, we will not stand under the weight of His judgment. His judgments are always right, and we have all sinned. We naturally live for ourselves, and we are guilty. But the glimmer of hope for us today is that God does not leave us here. Jesus would come to earth, and instead of us being that lamb torn to shreds, He would be the Lamb of God. He would be the perfect sacrifice, giving His life for His people. All the wrath and judgment of God would be poured out on Him instead of us. And by his wounds, we are healed. It is only a life that has given up their sins. Only a life that has forsaken their ability to do good. A life that is trusting in his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, that will stand up in this judgment. Learn from Israel, Israel's example. Don't face judgment in your sins. Turn and trust in Christ's perfect work for you, and He will give you life. All other things we could live for are worthless in comparison to the life we have in Him. Seize this. Grab this. Their fortresses and strongholds, they would be destroyed. But God is not done taking away their sources of security. Let's look again at verse 13. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Here God addresses them as the house of Jacob, not the house of the current ruler Jeroboam. Reminding them of their privileged ancestry as God's prized people. In their sin, they had built altars to false gods in Bethel. And just like the strongholds, these altars offered them sources of security. In their doubt and anguish, and in times of distress, they would run to these altars and they would grab the horns. We see this in 1 Kings. And, and Adon, uh, Ja feared Solomon. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. In his fear, he ran and seized these horns. The horns were the four corners of the altar that God had instructed the people to include in the building of the altar. And they had become this sort of spiritual comfort blanket, an emotional support altar, if you will. But in the judgment, there would be no comfort found. God will cut off the horns of this altar. And along with the altars and their fortresses, their great riches would be taken from them. We see in verse 15. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. They were so wealthy that they had both a summer and a winter house. And not only were these houses... Great in number, these houses were made of ivory. Even Solomon in all his glory only had a throne of ivory. These were entire houses made of this costly material, that these too would come to an end. The people of Israel, they were disillusioned. They had their security in these in the wrong things, their fortresses, their altars, and their riches. They didn't have their security. In God. And in His judgment, all these things would be taken from them. As we hear these words this morning, where is your security found? If you were to be stripped of every source of security in your life, everything that you cling to, would God be enough? Where are you prone? to let the visible things of this earth replace the invisible in your life. Beloved, in the days ahead, as a church plant, it's going to be very easy to think that our security is found in other things. That our security is found in a building. That our security is found in the amount of people, the amount of members we have, or or the size of our budget. But none of these things are the things that will keep us. God is where our security is found. God can take these things away just as quickly as they were brought into our lives. Let's not put our hope in them. To those under His judgment, He will strip away all the security to be found in these lesser things. And for His people, those who trust in Christ for salvation, in His love, He will strip away our security in all of the things so that we may know that He is sufficient and that He is all that we could ever need. It is a loving thing, pointing us to our greatest need and our greatest satisfaction. Is it not evident that we have the same wrong desires in misjudgment of the people of Israel? Don't treasure His blessings above Him. Let us find our security in Him this morning and for all of our lives. We can trust that His judgments are always right. Let's pray. God, grow our trust in you this morning. When fear and anxiety hits, when life doesn't turn out the way we thought it would, Lord, help us to know that in you we have an invaluable well of riches. Lord, that in you we have more than we could ever need. Lord, that we could have all the things that this world has to offer and not have you and we would be very poor. God, help us to see the abundance that we have in you. Help us to see that we have what we need that you are the most important thing in this life, God. Help us to live for you. In your name we pray. Amen.